this is Mike Edelhart, and I'm here with another edition of Inception, our podcast where we talk about beginnings, the beginnings of companies, the beginnings of uh, entrepreneurial careers, of new science, and sometimes even a little touch on the beginnings of the future. And I'm here today with, uh, may not be our youngest CEO, but certainly one of our youngest uh, portfolio company CEOs, Hunter Rosenblum, of uh, Lunar Wireless, which was Lunar Lab, which was Cosmos, yeah. right? We had gone through a couple of different name changes, and it's funny how that happens and kind of becomes a thing. But uh, yeah, now Lunar Wireless. Yeah, and, and not just name changes, but sort of business changes too, which we'll talk about. But I guess for starters, so you were what, 19? Well, I remember you couldn't sign the docs. Yeah. Um, you were <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was 19, 20 years old, yeah, when, when we had first met um, and when I was first raising that round. It was a very interesting uh, time for me. Um, it's funny because usually you usually like see someone come out of an industry and like they're older and they've you know been in media for 10 years and now they're starting a media company but you know mine was very similar in that I'd been doing wireless stuff and been working in the phone industry for a long time um, but I'd been doing it independently since I was like 12 years old like even my you know bar mitzvah was phone themed <laughs> so <laughs> having been deep in that deep in the underground world of building you know Android operating systems on XDA developers and, and things like that. Like I was involved in mobile and I, I had the experience of, you know, what you would see of an entrepreneur, but I happened to be extremely young at the time, which was <laughs> a kind of an interesting mix. It's like at times an adult, at times a kid, you know, and you would see kind of glimpses of both in me. And I, I think that's exactly what we saw. Uh, it was, I remember, because it was a singular conversation when we uh, first met and, uh, you sat down, and so young, uh, uh, where, of course, you know, I'm much older. My initial reaction is, he can't be ready for this. And, and, and we'll talk more, but your initial idea was one of those, well, it's probably impossible, but it, he might pull it off. And, and as young as you were, you went through a structured, detailed, well-informed, um, hyper impressive unit economics review of the business that would have been the envy of 45 year olds who had three businesses and that's really what intrigued us about you our basic reaction after that was who the hell is this kid and and where did he come from and how did he wind up with a 45 year old person's head <laughs> inside a 19 year old it's because I have a 75 year old father <laughs> do you? I do yeah my parents are much older. My dad's 75. My mom is 65. Um, and I'm 24 now. And so I th it's kind of funny. I have like this old soul mentality sometimes. And then, but also I'm like bushy tailed and very like <laughs> bright eyed and jumpy. Um, so it's kind of a funny mix of the two for sure. And I, I've, I've noticed people get kind of taken aback by it. But yeah, it, it was really noticeable. And we've seen it in the way you report too. I mean, you've been reporting weekly. You've just sort of gone back, I think, from. Weekly, but this this hyper discipline. Anything uh, other than what you might expect from a 19, 20 year old. Here's here's what's happening. Here's what we're doing. Here's what worked. Here's what didn't. Here's what we're going to do next. And even you know, sort of wry philosophical quotes. It was uh, something. They're fun to read, <laughs> which most of our portfolio company reports, while they're informative, they're not fun to read. Yeah, we you know we felt like people want you know 
it was an interesting story to start with, and we knew that the investors, at, you know, at the very least, wanted to keep up with the story and wanted to help as much as possible. We definitely knew, you know, like, I, I needed that help of someone who had done it before. And so being able to just every week distill it down to a couple bullets and say, yeah, it's what we did last week. This is what we're doing next week. This is what didn't work. This is what worked. And like, here's how we're thinking about it. And then, you know, the quote of the week as well that we had done, just like fun things that really just like kept people re-engaging um, were important. I just thought about it from the perspective of like, I guess myself, like in how media was changing for young people. Like I knew that everyone wanted shorter videos, shorter everything. And so if, you know, I, I figured why not wouldn't investors want the same thing <laughs> and sort of be able to keep in the loop better that way just by having the updates be shorter and, and more compressed. And now as the company grows and as things start to change, you know, it's changed a little bit. Now we do monthly reports, but we still try to keep it short to the point and say, look, here's what didn't work. Here's what worked. Here's what we did. Here's what we're going to do. And this is why. Um, yeah, exactly. And uh, uh, a little inside baseball thing for uh entrepreneurs who may be uh, listening and you know we have a really big portfolio we invest in a lot of companies very early and so we get to see some patterns maybe that other funds don't see because their portfolios aren't big enough to sort of describe the pattern yeah in our case there's a really noticeable inverse relationship between the length of the portfolio company reporting and success the more terse they are the better the company seems to do and we think that's because the shorter reports are an indication of a CEO who has two things. One is clarity, here's what matters. Yes. And the other is confidence. Here's all I need to tell you, and I'm gonna go back to work. The other kind of report we see is this laundry list of here's everything we did. We did oh, this, we did yeah. that, we did this, we did that. And we then, whenever you see that, you know. Like you, I, I, having seen other friends' updates, like some, and sometimes also like people don't realize how they're coming across. So like you'll also find entrepreneurs will be like, um, sort of like you know scared. They want to like make sure the the investor really believes. Like you know they want to make sure that the, their money is being put good put to good work. But I think good work isn't updating the investors, you know, with these very long detailed reports. It, good work is getting your stuff done and then being able to very clearly describe what you've done. I think also when you're working and you're a small team, like how are you doing all these many things if you're on, if you are focused? Like yeah. there, there should be one or two goals. <laughs> yeah, you know. Exactly. And startups, in our view, in the early stages in particular, are as much defined by their edges as their centers. So what aren't you doing? Uh, almost everything. What doesn't matter? Almost everything. So just talk about what matters. Don't talk about everything. Exactly. Exactly. And you know, it's the same thing. And like sometimes, like you know, recently I was working with someone on my team, and we were writing bios and stuff, and they wrote everything they did, and I was like, look, you are really impressive. But if you distill it down to a few key things, like you're still impressive. <laughs> you <know? laughs> Actually, more impressive. Yeah, more impressive. You know, and like if people want to know more about you, which they will, because these few key bullets will be cool you know, and, and interesting, they can look at that and they can go to a LinkedIn or whatever and find. I think generally just shortening your communication and making it as direct as possible. Is yeah, absolutely. And and it's it's indicative of confidence. Uh, go watch The Magnificent Seven. Uh, those extraordinary gunslingers, very courageous, uh, outrageously talented. And there might be 2,000 words in the whole movie. And, and that's kind of the point. It's like, what do you think? Yep. Nope. Uh, no frippery, no thing unsaid, no thing done that didn't have to be done. 
And that's one reason why the Magnificent Seven were magnificent. We could do this and, and sort of riff like this, but before we get too far along, we should probably go back and actually explain to folks, so what is it you do? What does Lunar do? What did Lunar do when we first backed you, which is different than now? Yeah. What are you doing now? And talk a little bit about that process of change, that pivot, if you would. Yeah, so uh, today, you know, we're Lunar Wireless, and, and basically we're an app you can download to cut your cell phone bill in half. Uh, our promise is the same coverage you've always enjoyed, unlimited of it, and at half the price. And we do that by working with the carriers and making your phone more efficient so that you can enjoy the unlimited that you're used to, um, but at a fraction of the cost. And so, you know, we partner with, you know, all of the major providers to basically, you know, provide that product, whether we've partnered with them now or, you know, we're talk in talks to partner, you know, we are in market and, you know, delivering the same nationwide network that people have today. Um, now, why would the carriers be up for that? Why would the carriers go, that's a damn good idea. Why don't you make our service available to more people for less than we can? Uh, we think that's terrific. <laughs> you know, I, I think for them, it's really about like who they choose to service and then what the company's DNA is and their future roadmaps. So like when you look at wireless carriers, like they've kind of maxed out for themselves. You know, they've gotten all the subscribers that they can get. You know, a lot of people have smartphones today. Um, and so now they're thinking more about like IOT and you know other ways of sort of generating revenue off of their existing user base. Um, and that's you know mostly for these really, really, really high income, you know, um, right. like you know, the customers. same folks everybody else is going after. Right. And so yeah, the same folks everyone's going after, like the 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 elite, you know, the the one percent products that you always see. And so, you know, for us, it was just like, I think there's a tremendous amount of people that would love to just pay less if it was just easy enough, you know? And, uh, you know, we said to the wireless companies, we'll be able to service those customers and help them and work with them. And so while you're busy building out new technology for your IoT and for your, you know, connected cars and you're trying to find new ways to sort of generate revenue from your existing high-end user base, you know, we'll go ahead and focus on, you know, the rest of the demographic, you know, and making sure that everyone can get online, you know, affordably and easily. And for people that prefer budget, that they can have access to that in a very meaningful way instead of just a promotional price for the past right. six months or whatever. So let's get in the Wayback Machine. <laughs> and back when you were 19, what were you doing? Because it's kind of similar, but in many ways, very, very different from what you're doing now. Yeah, I mean, even even before that, you know, when we were first, first starting out, it was like, you know, I went to, I was working at Detroit Venture Partners, and one of my bosses had become uh, an, a managing director of Techstars Detroit. He knew that I worked really hard and that I had been obsessed with phones, and I pitched him on this idea of a web browser that would work without internet access, um, basically transmit the internet via text message, and sort of a way to deliver internet in places where there wasn't great connection. And, you know, for me, it was about making connectivity more affordable, more accessible always. And I always understood that, like, you know, what I was working on wouldn't necessarily be the product that we grew. Um, but as long as I could find a solution that met that need, like, that was what's important. And so, you know, I pitched him on it and I said, look, I, I, I want to do this. And at the time, Techstars Detroit was a car accelerator. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> he was like, but I, I really want this to happen. And so he had helped me get into the accelerator. And uh, I'd gotten my first check, and I was able to work on that. And very quickly, I knew that I was going to need to pivot. Um, and so I had gone into working on a new type of wireless carrier, 
um, basically a way to save people money by letting them pay for only the data they wanted. So if you only wanted to go on Facebook, you only wanted to go on YouTube, you could pay for data for just those apps. And that's what you had seen as well. Right. And what I'd gone out and raised, you know, a, a million dollars around. But again, you know, like we, we had said, we know that this is a way to make wireless cheaper, but we didn't know whether it was something that customers would want to use to make wireless cheaper or that it would be easy to put in the hands of customers. Right. And not only cheaper, but more available. Yes. I mean, you were basically go buy your currency exchange, drop off a couple of bucks. I mean, not <laughs> exactly that. And you can buy two bucks worth of Facebook or an hour and a half of LinkedIn uh, or uh, whatever in very small drips and drabs so that those who couldn't afford yeah. a couldn't get the credit card uh, swing to afford a full data plan didn't feel like they were being essentially left out of yeah. this century. Yeah, and I think like, you know, when you when you really drill it down, it's like, yes, this made it more affordable for anyone who wanted to do this, right? It wasn't it wasn't even just like higher margin, smaller bites, like it was actually more efficient. And so if more people used it, yes, it would be more affordable. But you know, we we hadn't been thinking about like, for example, how to make it scalable. Like we had to work with every phone manufacturer to get it on the phones. I mean, we one of the big things that we had kind of forgotten uh, in just trying to solve the problem of making wireless more affordable, you know, we had almost kind of set aside accessible and made it almost harder to get. And even though it was uh, cheaper, Right, it was just more difficult to go about, and so when we, you know, when we kind of reassessed, it was like we need to remember the second part of the problem. All right, so talk about that process. So you're a young founder. You've got passionate belief. You were very passionate when we first met about bringing the, you know, sort of uninterneted, like the unbanked, into the internet era through this approach. And now you realize you have to walk from that idea, or the company may not make it. So how did you work on yourself? to get yourself through that pivot? And then how through yourself did you work uh, with the team to get them through that pivot? Yeah, so um, you know, in that pivot, we definitely realized that you know, there needs to be a team switch up actually. And so from my perspective, I felt like as a young founder, I needed the most experienced team surrounding me, people that really knew how to make this something. And so basically I went out and, and sought that out and hired uh, Andy Skelton, who's amazing. He had spent 13 years at WordPress building you know, a product that powers 30% of the internet. Um, my, one of my teammates, Michael, stayed on. So Michael had sold his company to WordPress. They had worked together, so I got this like team camaraderie. I had sought out Raphael, who had built customer service and operations scaled for three different companies in Detroit. And I basically said, okay, these are the things that I don't know. What are the things I do know? You know, I know really well the mobile space. I understand how this consumer is thinking and the budget-minded consumer is thinking because that's the kind of home I grew up in. I understand how to build consumer products from the perspective of making it really usable and friendly and beautiful because I've you know, been building mobile apps for a long time. But you know, still, again, that doesn't just because you have your skill set and your team around you has their skill set doesn't mean you're going to kind of drive towards that. And so actually, I kind of went on a little bit of like a soul-searching mission. I basically said to myself, I need exposure outside of what I'm doing in order to be able to make this pivot. 
And so I had a bunch of friends who were starting companies, and I basically said, or I had companies that were a little farther along, a little earlier. I basically said, hey, can I come like help you out for a little bit? And just like, <laughs> like I'm not saying full time. I'm not asking for a job. Like I would just call my friends and be like, hey, tell me about what's going on in your business. What are you going through? <laughs> and just like basically phoned in the friend network, you know, and said, hey, what are you going through? What are you going through? What are you going through? And you know, found a few that I felt like I could learn something from, and then just went deeper into that. Spent time with those founders. You know, anything from a friend who was doing real estate in Detroit, so I could see what it looks like to build a business that's definitely not scalable. <laughs> to <laughs> right. Real estate's tough. Um, to you know, friends building app companies that were growing extremely quickly on the app store, and I basically said like, I need to you know put my head in you know these other businesses. And what it did was it allowed as I sort of like helped my friends and tried to give them advice, you know, because they're also coming to me and saying, so Hunter, we think you're smart. Like we would love some feedback too. As I give them advice, I'm realizing, wait, maybe the best way to go about this is to try to almost give advice to myself. And like changing my mindset from like, oh my God, what am I going to do? I need to find something that's going to work to how would you tell yourself to do this if you were looking at yourself from above? And so just literally, I mean, five, six weeks of working with my friends, like all of a sudden I'm come back and I'm reinvigorated (laughs) and I'm ready to go and I like understand what I need to do. And like I basically came together with my team and I said, okay, so here's the problem. Like what we had last, it's not going to scale. Just like real estate, it's tough. Like the acquisitions are tough. In real estate, it's hard to get the properties in places like Detroit where people are always holding on to land until you know, speculatively. In the same way, it's hard to get the manufacturers to get, you know, to sort of play with you um, in wireless. And like the acquisition of getting your operating system onto their platform is tough. And so that is not gonna work. So you have to figure out new ways around it. And so it just basically was like, you know, a rebirth of, of how I think about things. And I even told my team, like, this is how we have to start thinking. Like, we have to start advising ourselves. Like, and when I'd ask questions and it seemed like they were getting too deep into the weeds, I'd say, how would you advise, advise yourself? I, you know, I'd say- It's a great question. It's get outside yourself and look at yourself to some degree dispassionately, or at least through someone else's eyes and then things that may seem obscure to you will all of a sudden become obvious because exactly. you're, not da- you're not sort of locked down uh, inside the trough, exactly. if you want to call it that. Exactly. I mean, it was amazing. That, that mindset shift was the fundamental shift that made everything go the way it is. I mean, it's really exciting to see. And now, like, you know, I'm in the midst of closing another round that I'm able to, you know, raise because of this change, because everyone could see my mindset difference. They could see how I've learned to handle a pivot. And that like now what we have is a lot closer to true product market fit than we have ever been. And we did it so fast. It's like once once I made this mindset shift, I mean it was six months before <laughs> before it was, you know, ready and 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 proven. And obviously, you know, to scale, but to enough to get the capital that I needed to scale it out again. And, and scale a business that I feel confident in. And I'm still, and still to this day, it's not like I'm saying, all right, now I've thought this way, I'm going back to my old way of thinking. Like, this is the way I think now. Right. <laughs> That's pretty remarkable. And I guess a, a corollary of that is, you know, you're talking about raising this round, but you have made a rather small amount of money go a rather long way. So through all this process, you were never throwing money at anything. Absolutely We not. were very impressed I, by it. I call it the curse of the Series A or the curse of the C plus, whatever, you know. Basically, the curse of the big round is like, you know, the founder thinks, okay, time to scale. I have all this money. Let's hire up the big team I need. And like, no, 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 no. <laughs> like, take, 
make sure you hire the people that you need in order to solve the problem that you need to solve. That problem doesn't necessarily need to mean scale for that round. You know, that problem could be finding product market fit. It could mean, you know, dealing with some problem specific to your business. Like, oh, we need to get a deal with this company first. You know, one of my friends recently, he started a company and he raised a round from a, a name brand VC. And it's in the um, autonomous space. And what's super interesting about it is that like autonomous is constantly evolving. And so I said to him, like, why would you do this? Why would you raise all this capital now? And he said, well, I'm just sitting on it, me and my co-founders, and we're literally like working on solving the problem the right way. We're not gonna go out and spend and hire a bunch of people. We're gonna hold, we're gonna figure out what like is right. We're gonna watch the market evolve. You know, we've been in this market for a while. We were, you know, in big car companies, we understand. And I think that's the smart way to go about it. Not to sit and like, you know, do nothing. I right. mean, but to sit and basically watch, like now you have money to basically live and focus on the market and how it's changing and what it's becoming. It's Admirable. It's really hard to do, though, because I don't know which VC this is, but in many cases, that VC who came into this round and wants to be on the board did that in anticipation of a strategy that would produce a much bigger check yes. uh, down the road uh, because the small check is not going to move the needle for mm -hmm. a big fund. So here's a partner who in partner meeting said, we're going to go and do a little check here, but this is going to be fine because we're going to do a big check later. Yeah. And then that first board meeting, they're going to show up and go, what are you doing with my money? Yeah. Why aren't you spending my money? Where's my growth? And, and it takes a lot of uh, internal uh, strength for a CEO, especially uh, potentially a younger one, not so experienced, to look all this money in the eye and go, just hold your water. <laughs> just take a breath. You must have trusted me to give me the money. And here's what we're doing, and here's why, and you have to let us do it. It's easy to say, and it's really hard to do under the circumstances. Yeah, and I was even strong about, you know, my company is based in Detroit. Not a lot of companies are end up being based in Detroit. And it's not, you know, I'm there because I love the city. I think it's very important that we're there. I think it's very important, like, the, the impact that the city has on us is very key. Um, I think for our type of business, it is the place to build it. But I had to convince investors, like, yes, it's the right place. And I had to convince them outside of, you know, it'll be cheap. And like, you know, they, they say, oh, so are you planning to just make it last forever and sit and, you know, on our money? And I had to say, listen, like, it's about slowing things down and, <laughs> you know, deciding, like, is this the right thing? Like, is this worth what's worth going up towards? And I think, you know, whenever you invest in the future, the future doesn't come right away. Right. Like, and people don't like, you know, it's not like you have an idea and then all of a sudden you're like, all right, I'm going to grow it. And then you raise money and <laughs> you grow it. Like, people also don't realize, like, a lot of entrepreneurs are coming from places where they don't have like, you know, the option to sit and work on something and then come to a VC with a fleshed out idea. Like, my family doesn't have the money to, like, let me sit and live in a beautiful apartment in Manhattan and <laughs> find all the great people around me to help me. And, <laughs> and it goes slower when you can't hire at least one or two other key people to, like, help you solve that problem. So I think, like, you know, the best seed investing are the seed investors that believe in investing in a business that will pivot and will change and understand that the and and and, and look for a founder that will spend slower like right. you said and yeah exactly and we've talked about this before we my partner bill and i the founding partner and i've been doing this a long time and we have never seen a startup not pinterest not even google back in the day not even microsoft that wound up becoming valuable and becoming prominent on exactly the set of ideas they told yeah. us about when they walked in the door. 
the world is simply more complicated than any entrepreneur can yes. uh, anticipate. People are more uh, uh, unpredictable and weird and vexatious than you'll anticipate. And it's in that adjustment to the complexity of reality and the imperturbability of the market that uh, we find companies actually do start to separate themselves from the pack. Exactly, having time, it takes years to find a unique idea. Like, the, we are not in the, like, it's not like, oh, wow, we made fire. Like, <laughs> like look at the caveman days, you know? <laughs> you don't get one of those very often. No, That's yeah, it. it's rare. Like, now you have to know an industry in and out. So you can either bet on someone who will, who has been in an industry for 20 years and is like, been working on this thing already on the side or whatever, or you can bet on someone who's young and has been in the industry and loves it, but still needs time. And like, you know, just give them that time, like give them that time. Like as an entrepreneur, if I could encourage it to any investors, like just remember to give them that time to figure things out. And it's like, you know, and for the entrepreneurs, it's don't think that what you're doing is exactly it. So do not plan your seed round around growing, <laughs> like plan your seed round around how much time it'll take you to find an answer to what is worth scaling. And it takes years, like it takes a year, a year and a half, you know? Yeah, so and each two. idea is different, but exactly. I agree. It's, it's One reason we have team all over is we wanted to avoid getting, sort of falling into the trap of being like everybody else. Uh, all the Valley investors are in the same tribe. They sort of behave the same. New York investors are in the same tribe. They behave the same. And we're all over, so we're trying to sort of counter, we don't behave like anything. We're just looking at what's in front of us. And, and trying to remember that each idea is different. Each market is different. Each entrepreneur is different. And one idea, maybe go into the lab, find out if it works at all. The minute somebody thinks it works, you know, a giant pharma is going to buy you six months, cloud of dust. And other ideas, as you say, just take a lot of time on the vine. But vines take a lot of time <laughs> on the vine, right? Yeah. Uh, 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 grape vines don't give usable fruit until the third year. And you have to keep them denatured and under watered and on lousy soil and all of that. And if you don't do that, they don't actually produce yes. really good fruit. And, and so I think it's very analogous. Yeah, and I, you know, I think it's been great to be able to like sit and just figure out what I think you know could be the right answer. And even today I have to you know, keep that mindset of like, it could change, it could change. And it's not you know that I was wrong, it's that you know, the market is shifting, like, you know, things are different, like customer, what works to grow to 50,000 customers may not grow to 200,000 customers. So like, I'm wrong in a sense, you know, I'm wrong about this thing, I'm wrong about this piece. It's hard to like also like separate that out and say like, what are you wrong about? What are you right about? And what is definite? Like what is definite and what is not definite? And as an entrepreneur, you're always so excited and so positive and you wanna be optimistic, but you also have to be pessimistic. It's, a, it's an incredibly weird balancing act. Yeah, it really is. So here you are, 24. <laughs> You've been doing this now for five years, almost, something like that, for a ridiculously long time. So who are you when you're 30? Uh, you'll have been doing this for a long time, or will you be doing this? Uh, uh, what's Hunter gonna be? You know, I, I don't wanna say anything for definite, but like, I think that it's very rare that I will ever have the insight I have in an industry now, like like what I have now. Like I mean, I grew up in the mobile age. Like I was watching Steve Jobs, you know, under my bed, <laughs> you know, under my covers, on the phone, like watching him announce the iPhone, like with a computer over, like 
I've I've been delving in this for so long that like if I were to try and exit with a quick hundred million this that I think that would be um, you know a waste for how deep I am in this how much I care about it like I don't even know what else <laughs> yeah. Yeah. you know like there are things I care about there are things I think are cool there are things I want to help with there are, you know there are important problems in the world but. I'm really obsessed with phones. Like I've been, like I love doing this every day. I love coming in and like you know, ten years from now, it's hard to say, but I, I imagine that I love it just as much as I did ten years ago. So. It's been great uh, watching the story so far and participating uh, a little and helping, and I can't wait to see uh, uh, how it transpires and how it all comes out. Yeah, me too. I uh, I'm really excited to be in that stage of growth now. It's just such a different conversation, and the problems change. Um, the, the set of solutions change, what you're looking for, who you're hiring. It's all different now. And now I'm learning more of that stuff, the stuff that you think of like an executive knowing. Um, but it's so cool. It's so cool to finally <laughs> be here and <laughs> be ready to do that. So. It's great to see you. So excited. And it's great to see you. Thanks very much for uh, coming in. Hopefully we'll get a chance to do it again soon. Mm-hmm.